We are continuing in a series through 1st John, and we went a little bit out of order because of some sickness. So the Valentine sermon was last week. It was all about the love of God, and Sean says he thinks he said the word love a couple hundred times, so you got the big idea. Uh, we're going to back up, and I'm going to have you open your scriptures to 1st John chapter 4. 1st John chapter 4, and we're going to look at the six verses uh, that we skipped over on purpose to come back and hit those now. There are many competing religious claims today. You've been confronted with them. I've been confronted with them. And some of them actually put on the cloak of evangelicalism. And that's why some of these claims are much harder to detect because sometimes we only see wool and we think because we see wool, we think it's a sheep or, or something other than a wolf. A common cause for confusion in the church in John's day and in our church surrounded those who claimed to speak on behalf of God. One of, the, one of the great problems, and this is what John is addressing, is the problem with self-proclaimed mouthpieces of deity. It's an important matter because Jesus' earthly ministry focused on teaching. He commissioned teachers. He promised that the Holy Spirit would come and guide people into all truth. And he actually placed teachers in his church. Okay, so you're going to see why these, these claims to test the spirits are so important. The same command is important because our society prizes religious tolerism and pluralism. Meaning you cannot say anything is exclusive without being arrogant. Christians have begun to believe that testing and discerning are actually unchristlike, too narrow and arrogant. In 2013, Christian rapper Shai Lin wrote a song entitled False Teachers. And for the S's, he uses dollar signs. And really, it is a critique then in 2013 of the prosperity gospel. He actually dedicated this song, and this is what caught my attention, to his brothers and sisters living on the continent of Africa. And he warned them. He said, don't be deceived by what America is sending you. And then he does what a lot of people find offensive. He starts dropping names. I want to read to you the lyrics. I will spare you by not rapping it. I know that some would label me a Pharisee because today the only heresy is saying that there's heresy. How dare they be specific and drop some clarity on the popularity of the gospel of prosperity. Turn off TBN. That channel is overrated. The pastors speak bogus statements financially motivated. It's kind of like a pyramid scheme. Visualize heretics Christianizing the American dream. It's foul and deceitful. They're lying to people, teaching that camels squeeze through the eye of a needle. Ungodly and wicked, ask yourself, how can they not be convicted treating Jesus like a lottery ticket? And you're thinking they're not the dangerous type because some of their statements are right. That only proves that Satan comes as an angel of light. Don't be deceived by this funny biz. If you come to Jesus for money, then he's not your God. Money is. Jesus is not a means to an end. The gospel is he came to redeem us from sin. And that is the message forever. I yell, if you're living your best life now, you're heading for hell. 
I'm going to continue with his lyrics. Joel Osteen is a false teacher. Creflo Dollar is a false teacher. Benny Hinn is a false teacher. I know they're popular, but don't let them deceive you. T.D. Jakes is a false teacher. Joyce Meyer is a false teacher. Paula White is a false teacher. Use your discernment. Let the Bible lead you. Kenneth Copeland is a false teacher. Robert Tilton is a false teacher. I know they're popular, but don't let them deceive you. Use your discernment. Let the Bible lead you. What he is doing is he's warning African believers of the false gospel that America has been exporting for decades. John Piper, via Twitter, said of that song, My, my, shy, this is good. Do you know that the church is called to be a custodian of the truth? And that is a call to discernment and clarity and a testing of spirits. Matter of fact, Paul will say it this way in 1 Timothy 3.15. This is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and foundation of the truth. And being custodians of that, we are called now, we're actually summoned by John in 1 John 4 verse 1 to test the spirits. One essential idea in all six verses this morning is that there are really two spirits active in this world. There is the spirit sent from God that elevates and exalts his son, Jesus Christ. And there is the spirit of the world or what is called the spirit of falsehood or the spirit of Antichrist who undermines the things of Jesus and denies truths about Jesus. What John is doing here is he is elaborating on the third test, the doctrinal test. You remember, John has been putting forward three tests throughout this entire letter, and then he keeps circling back, which is kind of hard to track with him, but he'll hit the first test and then he'll circle back. And that's what he's doing with the doctrinal test. It's not the only test, but it is a very clear and decisive test about detecting false teachers. John does this in two ways. First, with reference to the content of the teaching. Okay, what do teachers say about Jesus? And second, with reference to the hearers, who is listening to whom? Let's look at the content of the teaching. Chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So the command to test, it's really a caution In the form of a command, the command to test assumes that probably some of John's readers were uncritically accepting of teachers, possibly traveling teachers, maybe even teachers that sprung up from within the church. Perhaps some of Jesus' most familiar words come from his Sermon on the Mount where he says this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, judge not that you be not judged. How many of you have had that quoted to you when you're arguing some kind of Crystal clarity on a a biblical truth. Yes, we we must be careful not to judge in areas where God has not clearly spoken on a matter. So where God is silent, we must allow for differences of opinion. And what that means is we must, and we're going to address this in our class this morning, we need to be careful how we interact with conscience controversies or what are called disputable matters or questionable practices. However, that verse has been taken out of context and weaponized to silence all kind of biblical discernment. 
Christians have a responsibility to spiritually judge, to discern and test in matters of right and wrong, truth and error, light and darkness. Look at look at first John four one again. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. It's what Paul said in first Thessalonians five twenty one. He says this test everything. If you look back to chapter three, verse 24, you'll see that God has given us his spirit. But if you go back to chapter two, verse 18, you'll also notice that there are other spirits active in the world. Let me read first John two, verse 18 children. It is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. There are those those two big ideas. God's spirit sent who elevates the sun and this other spirit of the world who is anti-Christ. He's against Christ. That's why we must test and weigh the claims of those who claim to be speaking on behalf of God. And you know, that's exactly where the spirit of anti-Christ or the spirit of the world wants us. It wants us to feel bad for critically evaluating truth claims. It wants us to feel bad for speaking up and speaking out. It wants us to, to shirk back from calling out what is truly wrong and truly error and truly darkness. He wants us to stop critically evaluating, stop discerning, stop demanding gospel clarity, stop placing a line between darkness and light and truth and error. So John exhorts, beloved, my children, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because behind every mouthpiece is a spirit. Behind every true preacher is a spirit, the spirit of God. Behind every false preacher, false prophet, there is also a spirit. So test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. Well, how do we do that? How do we test? Because what John does now is he moves from a caution in the form of a command to the confession that is objective and recognizable. And it's the content that provides clarity. Look at verse 2. John's going to provide a straightforward exam. So twice John says in this passage, look at verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Now look down in verse 6. By this we know the Spirit of truth and the Spirit of error. Okay, by what? How can I recognize a true teacher from a false one? And what he does then is he focuses in on the content of the teaching or the clarity of the confession. He doesn't focus on personality or popularity or how many books a person has sold. He, the, the, the decisive test is this. You will know by this. The true one confesses something while the false one does not confess something. Okay, so what is that decisive confession? Look at verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Okay, so pause right there. Any mouthpiece that denies that the Son of God has taken on the form of humanity to die for our sins is a false spirit behind that false profession. Look at verse 3. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. 
This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. See, that's the doctrinal test. What does a person say about Jesus? Now, there's a lot of other things. There's a lot of other truth. There's a body of truth and a body of faith. But this is going to be how you discern the spirit. And this is why. Because the main objective of the spirit of Antichrist is to be against Jesus. To say wrong things about Jesus. So, do we say the same thing about Jesus that Jesus said about himself? That he is the Messiah, the rescuer, the deliverer, who has taken on humanity to save the world. That he is both divine and human. That he is the Son of God in human flesh. Because no one can make that confession clearly and truly except by the Spirit of God. It's interesting that in in all five uses of the word Antichrist in John's letters, it is the denial of Jesus Christ that is the main interest. It was common in Africa to go into assemblies that made much of the Holy Spirit and, and the gifts, the, the charisma gifts, um, the charismatics. And everything, when you would talk to them, there was very little, if anything, about Jesus Christ. It was all about the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, giftedness, um, miracles, tongue speaking, all those things, good things that God had once used, possibly still uses. But when you, when you started to probe a little deeper and to find out and, and you started to ask the Jesus question, there was an ignorance. When Jesus said this, Jesus says this in John 16, verse 13. He says, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. Okay, what does that look like? Verse 14, Jesus says this, He will glorify me. So when, when it's the Holy Spirit, who is elevated? Primarily. Father, Son, or Holy Spirit? Jesus just gave you the answer. It's Jesus. So in, in a congregation, if Jesus is not the big idea, the central object of worship, then you need to question whether it is the Spirit of God that is at work in that congregation or not. Jesus says, He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. See, a spirit that is against Jesus will make sure that everything else is made big, even politics, and that Jesus is made very minimal. You have the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. It's interesting, and I think this will be worth a digression. If you would take your scriptures and turn to 1 Corinthians 12. Because the Apostle Paul, like John, issued warnings to another church that had a lot of problems. It's the church at Corinth. But some of their problems centered on the verbal gifts. Okay, this is what John is getting at. Testing the spirits, confession, and teaching. In 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, we are given a snapshot of abuses surrounding two verbal gifts. The misuse of tongues and the misuse of prophecy. Look at 1 Corinthians 12 verse 3. Paul says, and it sounds like John's care for the church, I want you to understand that no one speaking, okay, verbal gifts, in the Spirit of God ever says, here's the confession, 
Jesus is accursed. See, that would be Antichrist. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So Paul, like John, is addressing not only the source, but the content of the teaching. Turn to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. He's still talking to the church about church conduct. And he says this in verse 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, so they're gathering as a church, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Right? All verbal expressions of truth. Let all things be done for building up. Now, in order to help this church do that, Paul proceeds to issue guidelines for rules in regards to tongues and prophecy. Look at verse 27. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn. So if number four stands up to speak in tongues, you can assume what? You're going to test the spirits. You're going to assume what? Its source is not from who? I mean, I'm not making this up. It's right here in 1 Corinthians 14. Its source is not the Holy Spirit. And let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. So no interpreter. Follow with me. We're testing the spirits here. No interpreter, no what? No speaking in tongues. All the tongues that I've ever seen, especially on the continent of Africa, have been all together, crazy and confused, primarily women, and no interpreter. And when we are called to test the spirits, and if you go into that congregation and you hear that is happening, you, we need to be mature enough in our discernment to say something is off here because it's not aligning with what? With God's word. Verse 29, he now switches from tongues to the gift of prophecy. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh, or as John said, what? Test what it said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. Listen to this. Look at verse 32. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. That's accountability. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Now Paul moves to a guideline that includes both, both verbal gifts, tongues and prophecy. And in reference to these two verbal gifts in the church, keep reading in verse 33, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak. Now, does that pose a problem for us? Are women allowed to speak in the church? I saw ladies talking this morning. Are we outside of the biblical parameters? No. What Paul is saying is in reference to these two verbal gifts, tongue speaking and prophecy, he is saying, I'm simply reading scripture, folks, that they are not permitted to speak. It's exactly what he says in 1 Timothy 2, verse 12, where it says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. He continues in 1 Corinthians 14, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Now, is that popular? That is not only countercultural, it is counter-evangelical culture. 
The point is, there is great danger if we fail to obey God's word in reference to content of teaching and the practical exercise of those gifts. Let me give you an example. I was asked to teach a block class in Kitwe, Zambia, on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Everything was fine as we, we surveyed the Old Testament about how the Spirit of God was at work in the Old Testament. We moved into Acts. We got into Acts chapter 2. Everything was fine. We tracked his movements and how the Holy Spirit had come and, and included now the Gentiles into the church. And then we got to 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 and, the, and somebody slammed the brakes on. And I remember after one of the workshop sessions, I went out and there was a, a group of very worked up Zambian women ready to correct me. And they peppered me with question after question. And I kept gently turning them back to scripture. And I just said this. If any practice, including my teaching or your tongue speaking, does not align with God's word, its source is not from God's spirit. Surprisingly, what was initially a hostile confrontation was softened and, and the women, because they did respect God's word and they held to the sufficiency of scripture, they softened and it seemed in that moment they allowed the scripture to weigh in on their actions. See, what 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 and 1 John 4, 2 are saying is this, that the spirit of God will always lead to an accurate estimation of who Jesus is in content and practice. And that's the point. That's the test. That's the first test. A caution in the form of a command. We are to test the spirits based upon what is said. But notice what John does now is the second test. And we're going to move through this one very quickly. His second test has to do with audiences. The listeners. Who is listening to whom? Look at verse 4. He addresses them again. He said, beloved. Now he says, little children. He's appealing to them. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. Okay, who is the them? False teachers that are against Christ and the spirit of Antichrist. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Okay, the spirit of God that has been given you to indwell you is greater than the spirit of Antichrist sort of energizing these false prophets. And by the way, John uses this word anointing. Remember that word? The, and he uses it in the past tense. You have been anointed. You have been anointed. You have been anointed. The Spirit has anointed you. And that word anointed is not, is not some mysterious mystical experience. Um, John will tell you it is connected to truth. Your ability to understand truth. Therefore, the Spirit that is in you is greater than the Spirit of falsehood in the world. Because that's, that's true, isn't it? We have already positionally conquered all the evil spirits in Christ positionally, though we still have to resist and test. And we do so, though, from a position of victory. Let me, let me, let me, let me give you a glimpse into the final chapter of 1 John. 1 John 5, verses 4 to 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. But our faith rests in a complete objective confession of who Jesus Christ is. He then asks again, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes? He's going to come back to the same truth that Jesus is the son of God. You have the content again of our faith placed in that content that overcomes the world. Now look at verse five. They are from the world 
Therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. Do you know that the world does not mind listening to its own teachers? Matter of fact, Paul uses this, this sort of disturbing picture in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3-4. to Paul warned, and he said, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. See, the apostles got one of Jesus' values in his ministry, and it was teaching and preaching and proclamation. And Paul's going to warn, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves. They will pile up. What are they piling up? Teachers. To suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. That's the danger if we fail to test. Jesus issued this warning in Matthew 7. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them. This is the same thing John is warning. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. And listen to what he does. He shifts. Not everyone who says to me, what does he do? He goes right back to a confession, a verbal proclamation. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. He moves from this seeming like verbal proclamation to sort of ministerial religious activity. He says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus' warning is very clear. He says, beware of false prophets. You'll recognize them by their fruits. And they're actually making religious claims. But at the end of the day, because their confession is not in Christ alone, Jesus will have to say, I never, I never knew you. Jesus said in John 8, 47, whoever is of God hears the words of God. For years, our mission statement here at Highlands has been, to display God's glory by making disciples through the gospel of grace. And this passage this morning specifically focuses on two of our five essential values. I want to work through these quickly. Uh, we have one, and it's scripture. It says, knowing Jesus by learning God's word and applying his truth through the power of his spirit. The other one is worship which says adoring Jesus through God-exalting, and we purposely put this here, word-saturated and spirit-led worship. We make a big deal about Scripture and preaching and teaching because Jesus did. And his apostles caught his vision and they did the same thing. How do we hear the words of God as a family at Highlands? How do we hear, how do we hear the apostolic truth when we gather together how do we know that what we're believing is what the apostles believed 
And I think Sabiti Anyabwile, explaining how we can listen to the apostles in the church today, said it very clearly. Let me quote him. He says, We hear it through a certain kind of preaching. The preaching that takes the apostles' words, explains their words, and applies their words is the kind of preaching that enables us to listen to them today. We call this expositional preaching because it exposes what the apostles have written and the meaning and the application of their words. When you listen to the word of God expositionally preached, you are listening to the apostles and ultimately you are listening to God himself, which is basically what Jesus said. Not about expositional preaching, but about whoever is from God will listen to the words of God. And I think we need this caution right now as Highlands moves now rapidly into into many different small groups, small gatherings, because all of a sudden we will have a wider platform for people to express, to speak, express their views and to persuade. And those are good things. But even among our own, just as John warned among them, we must test and discern and guard the content and even the spirit of what is being said. So it's not just about the false teachers of the prosperity gospel that we need to believe this command. We need to be sitting with one another and we need to test the spirits. And we need to make sure that a spirit of Antichrist does not infiltrate anywhere into this church because we are custodians of the truth of God. Four questions from this text, and then I'll pray. Are you following false prophets? And how would you know if you were or weren't? These six verses provide you the answer. Are you confessing the true Jesus? Is that your confession? In John's account of the gospel, he said, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Have you submitted to the Lordship and the saving grace of God in Christ? Third, are you trusting in the greater spirit? Verse four. And fourth, are you listening to the right teachers?